Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. You got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead. And you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed. You just remember what your old pal said. Yeah, you got a friend in me. Yeah, you got a friend in me. A companion. And beyond. Yes. Josh and I are quitting podcasts and become voice actors. <laughs> yes, friends, companions. Yes, everyone got that. We did it. What's up, everybody? You are watching slash listening to the Command Zone Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. Those songs are much harder when I don't know the lyrics that well. <laughs> yeah, we're just like, and we're fading the words into what we think sounds right. Uh, today, we're doing something we've actually never done before. Typically, when we do set reviews, we just talk about the new mechanics uh, during the beginning of the podcast, and then we go on to talk about the cards. However, Ikoria Lair Behemoth has presented us with the most complex mechanics I think we've seen in quite a long time, if not ever i mean usually we do the set review and it's like you know you three inches of the page yeah. takes five minutes but this is like its own video because mutate and companion are very very complicated multiple pages. pages yeah <laughs> ability counters not so much but we figure we'll throw them all in here then when we do the set review you'll already know all the mechanic stuff because you will have watched this video yep uh but before we get into all the nitty-gritty all the corner cases oh there's many all the questions we've been asked on twitter if you want to get any of the new cards from Akoria, Lair of Behemoths, or Commander 20, the uh, pre-con decks, anything at all, any of your magic singles, go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. If you use that affiliate link when you're ordering all that stuff, you're going to get it anyway. You'll be simultaneously helping out all of our content, game nights, everything we do here. And we have tons of interactions to talk about today, so we're sure that you brewers out there are going to be going crazy with all the awesome ideas. Another big shout-out as well to Ultra Pro, who has been a sponsor of this show for quite a long time, and they, for good reason, are the people that we trust when it comes to protecting our cards and making sure they are in top-notch conditions when we play them, when we store them away to get them out to play at the next GP, Magic Fest, what have you. They make the playmats, the sleeves, the deck boxes, the deck everything that you need to make your gameplay experience customized. So make sure you check out Ultra Pro Product next chance you get at your local game store, at Card Kingdom, or a big box retailer. 
Uh, and the final way to support all of our content is directly. Just go to patreon.com slash command zone. There's all kinds of perks at the different reward levels. Mm-hmm. One of them is you can chat with Jimmy and I on Discord each and every day. You get to see game nights earlier than the general public. All kinds of cool stuff. And you also get... Uh, uh, the heartwarming feeling of supporting all of our content, <laughs> which, you know, nice. you can't really put a price tag on that. Truth. <laughs> uh, also, we call out one lucky patron every single episode, Whoop. and this episode is dedicated to Tyler Matoli Stone. Tyler, you rock. Cool name. All right, let's get into these new mechanics. Uh, quick disclaimer. We are not judges. Nope. So this is aggregated from the internet. We're going to do our best. In the show notes, you will find links to the rules articles. And also, um, Wizards did uh, an AMA on Reddit. Eli Schifrin, who we consult with a lot, is the head rules manager at Wizards and answered a lot of these questions. I know a lot of you tweet at Jimmy and I asking us rules questions, which makes sense because we're the people you know that know magic. But usually we have to say, listen, we're not judges. So any answer we give you... It's our best bet. Yeah, we're like uh, 80% right on a good day. On a good day, yeah. These Uh, ones hopefully we'll do correctly because we did look these up, but um, we may... We may get a slight wording things wrong here and there. Small corner cases and all that, but we're going to be talking about all of them because Mutate is the first mechanic up that we're going to be discussing today. It's a crazy one. This is the craziest mechanic we've ever seen as far as like, well, what what happens about this? Well, what about this? What about this? What about that? There's just a million. It's it's never ending. When I did the preview stream with Mauro uh, and Cynthia Shepard, Mark, at the time before we knew what Mutate was, says, oh, in Ikoria, it's got the most mechanic, like the most crazy mechanical thing I've ever done in Magic. Yeah, it's nuts. Bar none. Okay, so it's the Mutate mechanic. Um, Should we read a card with Mutate on it just to kind of give them a... Yeah. Let's start with Brokos, Apex of Forever. It's two, a, a black, green, and blue on its face to cast a 6-6 legendary creature Nightmare Beast Elemental. However, it's got the alternate casting cost of Mutate in the text box, and it says, if you cast this spell for its Mutate cost, put it over or under target non-human creature you own, they mutate into the creature on top, plus all of the abilities from under it. And there's always a Mutate cost associated with the card. Sometimes it's more than the CMC, sometimes it's less. And Brokos has some additional text. It's a trampler, and it also says you may cast Brokos from your graveyard using its mutate ability. So on the surface, mutate's actually simple in its, like, normal use case, which is, like, you have a 2-2 bear. It's a non-human. You want to mutate onto it. Mm -hmm. You basically get the abilities of the mutate card and the bear. In this case, the bear has no abilities. And then you basically choose one of the power and toughnesses between those two creatures. Whichever one you put on top, that will be the power and toughness. So in this case, you would put Brokos on top because it's a 6-6 and the bear's a 2-2. But if you, for some reason, chose to put Brokos on the bottom, then your creature would be a 2-2. But it would would still still have have Trample, and you may cast this card from your graveyard using its Mutate ability. Right, and the bear itself is giving nothing. Let's say the bear had First Strike. Then it would also have First Strike, right? Yep, Uh, and the CMC is going to be equal to the card that you put on top, as well as the name of the card for just naming purposes. So generally, you're going to put the Mutate cards on on top because they're the big, scary, mean baddies of the set. Right. Once in a while, maybe you just want the Trample on something that's already big, and you'd put it on the bottom and keep it. It's a 10-10 or whatever. The card on top is also going to determine the creature card type, so if you're playing some sort of tribal deck, that will matter in that case all right there are a lot of intricacies yeah, to this it's simple when you talk about it in those terms oh cool it just becomes a bigger scarier creature right oh, oh, oh we should also say you can m- mutate multiple times onto the same thing yes so if you mutate again on top of the brocos and the bear it becomes the thing on top but it's going to keep all of those abilities underneath it so it'll get abilities from three cards but still power and toughness from only one card yep uh the most basic way i was thinking about it to sort of envision this in your head is that 
these cards, it can only be mute. It can only enter the battlefield as a mutated creature on top or below if you cast it using the alternate casting cost, and then it goes on to an eligible creature. So whether it's from your hand, the command zone, the battlefield, uh, to the battlefield, or from the graveyard to the battlefield. So the creature stack is what I'm going to call it. Like, let's say you have three creatures in this mutate the stack. mutate pile. The mutate, mutate stack. pile, yeah. It's going to change zones together. So let's say it dies. All of the creatures on the mutate stack are going to go to the graveyard together, but they do not necessarily return together. So if you, for instance, bounce a mutate card to someone's hand, you're going to get all three of those cards back in your hand. It doesn't come back as like one mega card. It comes back as all of the mutate cards uh, apart. So abilities like persist, undying, or if you blink or flicker it, it's going to return every creature on the mutate stack separately, but it's going to leave together. Right. So when it's on the battlefield, a mutate pile. I like that. Let's so a pile. Mu- a mutate pile. How many mutates you've got on it? Three, four, one. Doesn't matter. It is a single creature on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. You can't interact with just one part of it. So a lot of people ask, like, can I bounce just the Brokos part yeah. and leave the bear? No, you can't. You'd bounce the whole thing. Both cards would come back to your hand. But when it's in other zones, it doesn't consider itself mutated t- together anymore. That's why if it's got undying, it all dies as one creature goes to the graveyard. The undying triggers on all of it because it was all one creature. But when it comes back, they're all separate because it's not mutated anymore once it's in the graveyard. Yep. The only way it can be mutated is if you cast it for that alternate casting cost and then mutate it onto a creature. Right. So it, when it leaves, it's it's as though every creature in the stack had all the abilities, which it does. So if a creature had persist, then every creature in the pile is going to have persist. When it hits the graveyard, they'll separate, see the persist trigger, however order that works in, but they're all going to come back separately, not together. Same if you blink it, it all goes away as one thing comes back separately. Yep. Um, um, another small intricacy here, Brokos, for instance, says you may cast Brokos from your graveyard using its mutate ability. Now, the, the text Brokos on that part of the card isn't actually Brokos, right? It's actually written to for rules clarifications as this card. It's self-referential. It's just using the name so that you know it's referencing itself. So, for instance, if you put it uh, underneath a bear and the bear has a different name, it's going to say you may cast and then that name from your graveyard using its mutate ability. Uh, there are some cards that actually reference themselves for different reasons. In this case, it's a little different. But just so you know, that text, if it ever references itself, is not like it's, it's written on the card, but it's not written on the card. It's there to clarify it's referencing itself the card. Yeah, you Whew. basically can say if you if you read the a card's own name in its rules text box, most of the time, it's referencing this card or this creature, meaning yeah. itself, not specifically that name. Uh, that can get confusing. One thing we've been asked a lot is um, commander tax and mutate. Mm-hmm. So because of Eureka and Derevi, a lot of people are asking, does mutate get around commander tax? So like Otrimi, Brokos, there's a bunch of legendary mutate creatures. You're still, it, it doesn't get around the commander tax is the sort of short answer. You still, <laughs> when you're paying the mutate cost, you still have to add in commander tax. This is because it's an alternate casting cost. You're still casting the card, whereas Eureka and Derevi are activated abilities. So the ability, commander tax doesn't apply to abilities. Yeah, so Eureka specifically says for a cost, put this card onto the battlefield from your hand or the command zone tapped and attacking. And Derevi is basically put this onto the battlefield from the command zone. It never says cast in there. If it said cast, then you'd be paying commander tax on that. And again, it's an alternate casting cost. If you read Brokos or any card that says mutate on it, it says you, if you cast this spell for its mutate cost. Um, of course, you can mutate into a single creature multiple times because some of them will have a whenever this creature mutates, do X thing. If you mutate onto that creature again, you're going to trigger that again. If your creature you're mutating onto it also has a mutate trigger, both of those things are going to happen. 
Yep. So you can go nuts. Go nuts. Um, oh, here's an interesting one. If you go to cast mutate, mm-hmm. and so let's say I've got that 2-2 bear with first strike, and I go, I'm going to cast Brokos for its mutate cost targeting the bear, and Jimmy says, in response, I'm going to kill the bear. Ah, gotcha. Because this in magic is something we know to do. If somebody goes to put an aura on something, you kill the, the target, and the aura now has no target, fizzles, and you just two for one them. This is just a limited staple move. Don't cast auras into open mana. Mm-hmm. How ba- it- uh, pump spells do sometimes, ba- combat tricks, all that stuff. Right. However, mutate doesn't work that way. It works more like how bestow from original Theros works, whereas if the target gets removed, so mutates on the stack, and all of a sudden the thing that it was going to mutate onto is removed, mutate says, oh, okay, fine. Well, then I'm just going to resolve as the creature side of, mm-hmm. uh, as if I were cast for a non-mutate cost. So brokers would just come in as a 6-6 with trample in that case. So you don't get to sort of get them by removing the target of the mutate. Yep. And let's say you're casting it onto that same bear and that bear has a dark steel plate on it. It's got all sorts of stuff. You're suiting it up for a mad Voltron experience. The card that you're mutating onto it is going to, again, be the bear, but a bear that's been mutated onto. So it's going to retain the auras. It's going to retain the equipment, any encounters that are already on it. Those those things stay on the card. This is not related to the destroying of the bear. You yes. wouldn't still get that. So if they destroy the bear or exile, I guess, with yeah. dark steel plate in response, then Brokus is going to come off with not attached to that equipment. Yeah, it's going to try to mutate onto it, but it's gone so it's just going to go somewhere else and exist as its own self but if the mutate successfully happens and the bear had a bunch of equipment then all that equipment just stays attached to the entire creature that is now the bear plus yep whatever the mutate pile was any counters that were on the bear those would stay which means plus one plus one counters minus one counters any of the new ability counters the whole creature is considered one creature and would have all that stuff any auras would still apply to the entire mutate pile. Build your own monster. Yeah. Now, if you are mutating onto a creature, let's say the bear has been around since turn two, turn three, you're mutating onto it. The card that you're mutating onto it isn't going to grant summoning sickness because the original card, the bear, has been under your control since the beginning of your turns, though, so it can't attack, it can use abilities. So it's not going to have summoning sickness. It's a cool way to sort of get a ton of damage in out of nowhere because no one expects you know, that thing to be able to swing this turn with now as a 6-6 six, six or whatever it is. Right, so the mutated creature, if you mutate onto a creature and the creature was there already from your previous turn or whatever, it's not going to be considered like a new creature that entered the battlefield or anything Mm -hmm. like that. This is an altered creature. It's still the bear plus something else. So it's, again, similar to if you had an aura or something on top of it. Yeah. Um, It mutated. It did not leave the battlefield and come back in. It's just sort of doing that scary thing like in movies when new arms like pop out of its chest and it becomes a new kind of monster. Uh. Let's talk about commander damage. Got a lot of questions on Twitter about commander damage. So if your commander is any part of the mutate pile, doesn't matter if it's on top or not, if it's just one of the cards that's in the mutate pile, then it will deal commander damage. It doesn't have to, it doesn't care if that's the name of the card or not. This is from Brazella, mm-hmm. the the meld from, what was that? Shadows, Shadows over Interstar yeah, or one Brizella. of those. Yeah, they decided to make this rule that like, hey, listen, if the commander is any part of a creature no matter what part, it will deal commander damage. Yeah, it's like this is the entity. It is the commander. That's like a special quality it retains regardless of where it goes on the, on the creature pile. Um, one question I got asked is, okay, so you can only mutate onto non-human creatures. That's mm-hmm. part of mutates. What happens if the pile itself gets turned into a human somehow? Oh, good question. There's equipment that does this. There are enchantments that do this. Well, here's the thing. It only cares about mutating onto a non-human creature when you cast it for its mutate cost. It does not care once it's become that creature. It can you know morph into anything you want at that point. But the mutate's already on there, so it's not going to worry if it's a human or not. All right, Maybe here- it mutated into a human. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's a good one. 
If you mutate onto a token creature, mm. so let's say you beast within your own thing for some reason, sure. makes a 3-3 beast token, and that's a non-human, so you go, oh, I'm going to use that as a target for Broco, so I'm going to mutate on top of the beast token. The entire thing is considered a token. Oh, because the creature originally was a token? You will create... Yeah, like token's not like a, a tribe or anything. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a super type or whatever. Hard type of yeah, yeah. sorts, yeah. And so then if you did that, you could now populate that token. Oh my gosh. And Because it is a token. That's disgusting. Yeah, so there's some interesting interactions with stuff ah, like that. All right. Yeah. And again, uh, it's if it's not legendary at that point, you know, there are a lot of mutate cards that aren't legendary that you can just keep making more and more monsters because that token copy is going to be a copy of the entire thing. So congrats, you've just made a second mutate creature uh, as a copy once you populate. That's really scary. So there's a bunch of cards that like, they flip over, they transform, they Mm -hmm. werewolves and stuff like that. So there's a bunch of rules, questions regarding that. So if you mutate onto something that exiles itself and then returns transformed. So think of like Nissa Vastwood Seer. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, like the flipwalker. Flipwalker. So she comes in and then when you meet a criteria, which I believe is having seven lands in play, she exiles and then transforms and comes back as a planeswalker. So, well, what if you could mutate onto Nissa? Somehow. And we'll, we'll talk about the way you can do that in a bit. And then you met the criteria. What would happen with the mutate part? Um, and here's what happens. You exile the entire permanent, because mm-hmm. again, it's all one creature. So Nissa would get exiled. But then only the parts of it that could transform will transform and come back. So right. Brokos or something would just remain in exile, which is really bad because it wants to be in the graveyard. <laughs> but the Nissa would come back because it can transform. Yeah, basically it disappears into the nether, into exile. And at that point, the Brokos is like, I'm not really attached to anything anymore and I'm in exile. But yeah. the Nissa will come back because the card on that card specifically says come back flipped. Okay, speaking of flipped, let's talk about flip cards like from Kamigawa. These are the cards that have like half a card on top and then you rotate it 180 degrees and it has a different half a card on the bottom. And usually, again, you meet some criteria and then you flip the card around, rotate the card around, I guess. Right. So let's use um, (laughs) Kwan Ogre Ascendant as our example. Yeah, it's black, black, black for a legendary ogre monk 2-4. At the beginning of the end step, if three or more creatures died this turn, flip Kuan Ogre Ascendant, and it turns into Kuan's Essence, a legendary enchantment. So no longer a creature at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player sacrifices a creature. So this is really, really, really interesting and weird, but if you mutated on to Kuan and then you met the criteria, which is at the beginning of uh, the end step, if three or more creatures died this turn, you flip Kuan. What do you think happens to the mutate creature? Uh, does it become an enchantment creature? Is it a creature with the enchantment abilities on it? Do you flip all the cards it? over? What happens to the Brokos? It it's has- just an upside down Brokos? <laughs> They go, they visit the upside down. I actually don't know what happens. Does it stay in enchantment? Does it fall off? What happens is the only the flippable parts mm-hmm. of the card flip over. So only Kawan would flip over. Right. And then the rest remains the same. But as far as I know, this still remains the one creature because it's not like leaving the battlefield and coming back. Right. So it would just have the enchantment part stuck to it. Stuck to it as one of the abilities on the creature. Now, I don't know what happens if that's the top creature. Because of the power and toughness and stuff like that. Like, things get complicated here. This is where you got to ask judges. But I know that flippable parts only flip themselves and everything else just kind of stays where it was. Right. So, again, the key thing here is that the card is not leaving the battlefield and coming back. So, flip cards like werewolves, they're actually not leaving the battlefield. They're just flipping. Imagine in, like, a 2D way. They just become the thing. So, only the parts that can transform are going to transform, but it's still going to remain that thing. Yeah, werewolves are basically the same as flip cards, right? You meet the criteria... The w- only the stuff that has 
a werewolf on the other side or something on the back can 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 they're flip called dual over. face card they're not called flip cards right right dual face cards will flip to their flip i keep saying flip because turn over turn over turn the new to leaf. their other face but everything else will remain the same so brokus would still be attached and then just the werewolf part will have changed interesting so, so only part of it was a werewolf i guess what if you have a legendary creature and you decide to mutate something that's non-legendary on top of it it's going to become the top creature does it lose the legendary creature status yes it does so this is an interesting thing where there are definitely combos you can pull off with like kiki jiki and things mm -hmm. because you can sort of make it a non-legendary creature all of a sudden but it still has its ability right yeah so the top creature matters for the legendary rule basically so it also matters for like if you were going to make it into a token if you don't want it to be legendary maybe you could pull some shenanigans by what creature goes on top because you right. don't want to populate onto a creature that's legendary legendary yeah. rule kicks in that right, doesn't do right, a lot right. of good or if you're going to copy it clone it those types of things which again copy it clone it make copying, it fix it yeah copying and cloning you copy the whole creature so this is something that you know, it's a little confusing, but it's similar to the um, the populate thing, where it's just like, yep, if you mutate on, onto a creature and the mutate pile has two or three cards on it, and then you go to clone that, you get exactly what that mutate pile is at that moment. You might need some post-it notes if you're doing Because <laughs> <laughs> what if you get rid of what it's copying? And yeah. Like, wait, wait, what was that what again? Was it again? Like, oh, geez, it was Brokos and these two It had things? Trample, I think. It had First Strike, <laughs> and you're like shuffling through your graveyard. We've all been there. Yeah, we have. Okay, here's a weird one. What if you mutate onto something that's only temporarily a creature? So like a vehicle. Right. Let's say you've got Fleet Wheel Cruiser. I'll read it here. It's four, four mana for a vehicle, has trample and haste. When Fleet Wheel cru Cruiser enters the battlefield, it becomes an artifact creature until end of turn. And that has a crew cost of two. So you can tap any number of creatures you control with total power two or more. And this vehicle becomes an artifact creature until end of turn. So this is a creature that... Or sorry, an artifact that becomes a creature until end of turn when you play it, and then at will when you can tap two power or more worth of creatures. So let's say you turn it into a creature, and then you mutate on it. What do you think happens? Well, if you're mutating on top, then it's going to be similar to the uh, uh, the Kuan that turns into an enchantment, right? It's just mm -hmm. going to still become a creature because it says it's a creature on top. I'm assuming. Yes. So it's just a permanent creature at that point. Now, if the creature... Well, if the fleet wheel is on top, then... It's going to not become a creature. It will eventually become not a creature. But and if you then, put something else on top of it, Brokos, let's say, on top right. of it, then Bro Brokos is basically just taking the vigilance and haste from it. So when it becomes not a creature, do the ones underneath it just sort of fall off? Nope. Oh, it just becomes an artifact creature That's, on top that just happens just to the carry... It's giving the trample on haste, but it gets the 6-6 six, six from Brokos. I see. I guess I Brokos see, already has trample. It, so yeah, or if it's the on the bottom. Right. Or like, I get it now. Okay, so it's basically looking at the top card to decide what is my fate going to be but it's not like that is going to change the cards underneath it if it should come back and turn into something that is no longer a creature. Okay, well, here's a... Weird. Here's an even weirder one. Let's say <laughs> that you mutate on top of a planeswalker that is temporarily a creature. Right. Now, you can't do it to Gideon because he's a human, I believe, but yeah. Sarkin... Sarkin the Masterless is waiting for this to happen. <laughs> it has a plus one that says each until end of turn, each planeswalker you control, including Sarkin, becomes a 4-4 red dragon creature and gains flying uh okay so let's say this becomes a creature and i mutate on top of it right at end of turn it's going to flip back into a planeswalker but not really because it's a creature on top which means that this has now become a creature with planeswalker abilities and planeswalker abilities are not locked to planeswalkers if you are a creature that has randomly a planeswalker ability that creature can use it that's right and same rules it's a not a planeswalker anymore so it can't be attacked right by other creatures it also does not die when it gets to zero loyalty oh but it can still use the loyalty that it had and activate its abilities 
and still gain loyalty. So all of a sudden, this planeswalker got even harder to remove, except by just a reg regular removal spell. You can't kill it with combat anymore. Right. You can't. Not like you Hearthstone. cannot attack it. <laughs> That's a really weird one, but yeah, that is that is how they said. I mean, I kind of dig that. I love that fact that you have a creature, and I believe this is for the first time with planeswalker abilities, and you can use those as though they are activated abilities. And just like tick it down to zero, don't care because it's not going to die. Okay. All right. And then you could tick it back up, I guess. Like yeah. it didn't die. Yeah. Right? You could just keep taking. If it has hexproof and all that stuff, you just have this thing that is extremely hard to remove can you get negative lo i know i guess you can't pay loyalty counters that you they don't, don't have, have yeah, so, yeah okay. but you can like you know we always say like oh wait a turn to ultimate it like cash is that one turn where that's yeah, true yeah. imagine if that turned into a, a planeswalk or a creature okay um this is a weird one the yeah mimic that. so we play mimic that a lot and we love this card so what happens if i have a mutated creature with let's say two creatures in the pile and it dies and the mimic that looks at it and says oh whenever a non-token creature dies you may exile that card if you do return each other card to exile with mimic back to its owner's graveyard so you're basically so taking dies a card as one creature remember right. and maybe that sees hey there's a creature dying so i want to imprint that but it's actually two cards so what do you think happens well it's changing zone as a single stack but when it gets to the new zone it cannot exist as that mutate stack so it it, it you choose one you actually get to imprint both <laughs> or all. Let's say it was a mutate pile that had four on it. Oh my gosh. You would imprint all four onto the Mimic Vat. That is the only way to have Mimic Vat get all that I know creature, of, right? That yeah. I know of. But then what do you think happens when you activate Mimic Vat? You just get one of the ones, right? You, you choose, choose one at that oh point. Oh my goodness. Super weird. Yeah. Yeah, because it's created a token that's a copy of a card exiled with Mimic Vat. Of a card. So you're like, uh, I'll, I'll copy that one. But you don't get all of them mutated together. Oh man, if you thought changing zones was complicated, <laughs> <laughs> this just adds a whole new layer to it. Okay, how about this one? This one baffles me. There's a card called Leadership Vacuum. Two in the blue for an instant. Target player returns each commander they control from the battlefield to the command zone, and you draw a card. So, so we remember, we established that if a commander is anywhere in the mutate pile, that is your commander. No Even the bear that's in there is considered part of that yeah. commander. Because it mutated, right? It it's, deals it's, commander it's a damage. single essence now of one thing. So what happens if you hit a three-pile mutate with a leadership vacuum. Right, because it all has to go back to the command zone. Well, it all goes to the command zone. The problem oh. is the rules state you can only cast your commander from the command zone. So the other cards in the pile are just stuck in the command zone. They At have no way to get out. At one point they were the commander, but now <laughs> yeah. that they have left, they are no longer the commander because, again, Mutate cannot exist as that pile outside of the battlefield. So they're just in the command zone until, you know, you get to shuffle up for the next game. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Awesome. <laughs> um, oh, here's an interesting thing. What happens if a mutated creature containing your commander in it dies? Can you choose, because this is related, right? Yep. So can you choose to just have the commander go to the command zone and the other ones go to the graveyard? I would hope so, yes, because it's all changing zones. But if you do that, do all of them go to the command zone like leadership vacuum? What happens here? Okay, so what happens is you can choose as a replacement effect to only put your commander out of the pile into the command zone. Okay. The other cards will still go to the graveyard. But the interesting thing here is that... The rest of the stuff hitting the graveyard will still cause a death trigger to happen. Wait, so it thinks it's your commander when it dies and hits the graveyard, but when it hits the graveyard, it splits, and then you can choose to put the commander back into the command zone at that point, and right, you so, get the death trigger. Yeah, so the legendary creatures that we've always had issues with, like Alenda, oh Child goodness. of Alara, things yes. like that, the non-human ones. That need to die, not go to the command zone. So this means hit the graveyard in order for an ability to trigger. Which are always problematic because if you let it go to the graveyard, well, then and now it's too late to put it into the command zone. Yeah. So you have to actually let those things die. This is sort of a weird way around that where you're like, well, I'm going to actually have part of it go to the command zone, which is the commander part. But right. the other mutate part, I'm going to let hit the graveyard and now I get a death trigger. Wow. 
Wow, that is fascinating. Yeah. All right, let's talk about some specific cards. Just a couple. We could do this for a long time, so we're going to have to yeah. start wrapping it up. But let's talk about two interesting, really specific cards. Yeah, this one is actually insane <laughs> to hilarious. me. This is hilarious. So it requires a little bit of hoops to jump through, but if you do do it, congrats. You're awesome. It's Atrada the Silencer, who's a two blue black legendary creature vampire assassin 3-5. Atrada can't be blocked. And whenever Atrada deals combat damage to a player, exile target creature that player controls and put a hit counter on that card. And that player is going to lose the game if they own three or more exiled cards with hit counters on it. Atrada's owner shuffles Atrada into their library. So I think you know where this is going. Right. So I want to put hit counters on cards, but if I put it onto a mutate pile with three creatures, does that mean all of them get a hit counter? Yes, it does. So <laughs> one creature targeted by Atrada, they all get exiled with hit counters on them separately because, like you said, they're not on the battlefield anymore. Right. And it's like persist. They all have that text on the card. They all have the counters. Yes. So then, then they just lose the game. Exactly. If you ever try to somebody that has a mutate pile, you know, with enough creatures or whatever, and you can exile, you know, just the one creature, then they're gone. They got hit counters. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. All right. So it one. keeps the counters. Okay. All right. This is getting crazy. All right. One more. Uh, again, this is a specific card. It's the interaction with Nightmare Shepherd which is two black black for an enchantment creature demon. It's a 4-4 with flying, but it says whenever another non-token creature you control dies, you may exile it. If you do, create a token that's a copy of that creature, except it's a 1-1 and it's a nightmare in addition to its other types. So this makes a token copy that was a copy of a creature that died. So you basically make a 1-1 that has all the abilities. You get the ETB or whatever, and it has all the abilities of the thing that died. So what do you think happens if you have a mutate, card i didn't actually put the answer for this one here for yeah Jimmy, so he's I gonna have to guess. Oh, what do you think happens if you have a mutate creature that's got you know the pile the pile is like three cards it dies nightmare shepherd triggers okay so the text here is whenever a non-token creature you control dies you may exile it so it's going to die as a single group but it's going to hit the graveyard that's three things and the dies trigger means when it touches the graveyard so it's going to be three different creatures let's say if the pile is three when it hits the graveyard then you can exile it so you're going to get three token copies you're actually going to get one that's a copy uh, of the entire mutated creature. Okay. I Again, the details of why it works this way, I have no idea. But according <laughs> to the internet, it says that, uh, and I hope this is correct, but we did our best here to make sure we found the, the right answers, Yeah. that you would get a token copy that's a 1-1 one, one that has all the abilities of all the mutate. Of the, of the mutated creature when it was together. Gotcha. Which okay. is weird, right? Because I would have thought definitely right. make three different creatures yeah, like Persist or something. it's leaving as one and it's got three different things, but maybe the timing on that exactly is something that we're not too clear on. When you choose it is at the moment that it's still one. I have no idea how. Yeah, okay. We suggest there is a magic chat for judges yeah. that is always there. If you just look at magic chat judges in Google, you'll find this constantly going chat room where you can ask as specific of a question as you want, and very many uh, qualified judges will answer your questions there. We are just gaming aficionados and not actual judges. I haven't taken the test in God knows how long. Yeah, Don't would... plan it anytime soon. So. <laughs> if Twitter and me answering judge questions is any indication, I would fail the judge test. It's a test of patience, if anything. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so this is uh, far from covering every single edge case, corner case scenario. If you have some of those, don't tweet at Jimmy and I because we're not going to 100% know the answer. We're going to do what you would do, which is ask someone else. Yes. Again, Judge Chat is the way to go there or uh, a judge on Twitter or something like that. Again, we'll provide links in the show notes too to the articles and the AMA mm -hmm. from the Wizards people, which also will have the answer to hopefully most of your questions. Um, quick discussion, Jimmy. Yeah. What do you think of the mutate mechanic? What's your opinion of it? It is definitely L complicated. Yeah, like... I mean, do you think it's cool? Do you think it's not worth it? What do you think about it, like, in terms of, like, 
is this a good mechanic that we're happy that we now have access to in Commander? Well, I know for a fact a lot of people are making the, uh, oh, we Yu-Gi-Oh now, boys, because we're yeah. making sort of the, you know, the single massive thing uh, all onto one thing. There is a lot of complexity to this mechanic. I do like the fact that it can appeal to both the Johnny type as well as the Spike type, as well as the Timmy type of player. There is so much going on with this. The only thing I don't like is just how mechanically complex it is. The fact that I didn't know the answer is sort of off the top of my head to a lot of these and also can't legitimately explain why I'm wrong or correct half the time makes me a little worried. It's not very intuitive in a lot of cases. Yeah. That's a little bit makes me feel like there will be games where Mutate will come up and everyone will have to pull out their phone and then somebody will be like... You know, there'll be little arguments about... No, it doesn't work like that because this, this, and this. And then Josh and Jimmy said this, and it's like, uh-oh. Yeah, now so in, that makes me a little worried. I, I understand why they were trying to do this, and they're they're mostly designing it for a more limited environment or just standard, which is a smaller card pool, doesn't have all these weird cards in the history of Magic, which like, how does it work with this card? Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit of a, of a headache. My, my feeling is there's not a ton of mutate in the history of Magic. It's going to be popular for a little while, but I don't think it's actually going to be that great, so I don't know that we're actually going to end up seeing it that much, which may be like good kind of because if you saw it a lot, the corner cases would get really, really annoying, I think. Yeah, you know it's complex though when people who've been talking about this game constantly every week for five years are having trouble answering rules questions about it. All right, we've got two more mechanics to go through. We've got the ability counters and then another really complicated one, companion, the mechanic. We're going to get into the nitty gritty on both of those, but before we do, let's take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. All right, we are back and we are discussing the brand new mechanics from Ikoria Lair of Behemoths, the most crazy mechanics we've seen in quite a long time. We just got finished with Mutate, which took up half the episode. <laughs> so let's let's take a small mental break here and go on to one that's a bit easier to deal with, ability counters. Yeah, if all the mechanics in the set were like this, we wouldn't even be making this video. This yeah. one's pretty simple. So this is something new we haven't seen before. These are counters that aren't stat bonuses. Mm -hmm. They are ability keywords. So you can now give a creature a first strike counter you can give it a death touch counter, an indestructible counter, and that would do... These are intuitive, right? It mm -hmm. now has that ability. So it now is first strike. Um, similar to instance combat tricks that would give this stuff until end of turn, 
This just gives it to it until it's off the battlefield. Yeah. And now because they are counters, they can be interacted with in different ways now. So you can proliferate a trample counter to give a creature a double trample. Which does nothing. Uh, It does nothing. Uh, However, there are cards that now can exist to manipulate counters. There are a couple in blue and black. The newest one that we've talked about quite a bit is Nesting Grounds. It's a land that you can pay a mana and tap it to move a counter from target permanent you control onto another target permanent uh, only at sorcery speed. So now you can finally move around things like uh, trample counters but also affect things like doom counters on certain cards lux cannon has charge counters uh plus one plus one counters they all count if they have the word counters on it and those old cards like power conduit and a few others there wasn't very many leech bonder that kind of mess with generic counters not specifically plus one counters or negative one counters they have another usage now a whole bunch of cards that they interact with uh which is makes them a little bit more appealing, I think, which is cool. Yeah, there aren't that many cards, though, that do it. I wouldn't recommend going nuts about this. This is definitely something that is really interesting and cool, and if you have ways to interact with them a little bit, great. Loyalty counters also count on Planeswalkers oh, as yep. counters. So this is a world I expect Wizards to slowly keep exploring. We always talk about, you know, how much can they design in the box that they have. Yeah. This is another door open that I didn't realize existed, and we're going to see, I think, a bit more of this in the future. I would surmise as a player. And one of the interesting things about Nesting grounds and i'm not sure about the other card specifically is the ability to move these ability counters onto non-creatures right so we can suddenly do things like give ether flux reservoir lifelink this is <laughs> this is territory we haven't explored much before which is giving enchantments keyword abilities like right. first strike which i don't think does anything on enchantments but that combination we may find some stuff that's that's interesting yeah we've seen stuff like soulfire grandmaster give abilities to spells and instants and sorceries and stuff but we haven't seen this yet so very interesting development i am curious to see where this goes i can definitely see this going really nuts though if you put hexproof and lifelink on an etherflux reservoir yeah oh boy i mean if you just lifelink it's over right yeah yeah if you just activate it once you're good to go okay uh so we're not going to talk about ability counters that long, obviously, because it's simple. But let me ask you, Jimmy, what do you think about this mechanic? You know, like I said earlier, this is unexplored space. As long as this doesn't inherently break the game, I think I'm fine with it. I have a little bit more, obviously, issue with Mutate because it breaks the game in the in the form of, wait, how does that work? And in the form cool. of confusion. Yeah, in the yeah. form of literal confusion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ability counters are, are intuitive. They're not confusing. I like this mechanic a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying it's the most powerful or anything, but you get how it works pretty fast as soon as you start, you know, as soon as you place one counter, it just makes sense. Yeah. And and that to me is like clean gameplay and, and good design. I'm interested to see cards that also interact with counters in terms of removing them. I know we yeah. had a bit of an issue with experience counters because they were just so uninteractable. You couldn't interact with them at all. So I'm hoping that with the addition of counters like this, we also find some more ways to interact with them like nesting grounds, but not necessarily for just our permanents, maybe for opponents as well. Oh yeah, there's that, uh, I forget what card it is, but there's a card that basically pulls all equipment on the battlefield to itself. Yep. You know, maybe there's one that pulls all counters to itself or yep. something like that. Yeah, yeah. That's cool design space. Yeah, I think there was one in Commander, a black creature that kind of got rid of all counters when it came in. Yeah, there's there's, there's And there's vampire hex mages and yeah, things like yeah. that. And yeah, and deep glow skates also helps out with counters and doubling and all that stuff. So we'll see what happens. I, I'm fine with it though. Okay, cool. All right, let's move on to the final new mechanic. We're not going to talk about cycling because it's been around for a long time. This one's pretty controversial. This is controversial. I think it's less com- complicated. It's still complicated. Yeah. Less complicated than mutate, but more controversial than mutate, which is interesting. This is the companion mechanic. So there are 10 cards in the set, um, and they have the companion keyword, and yep. that basically means that it allows you to start with this companion outside the game... Um, which is a contentious wording as well for Commander, but we're just going to skip that for now. 
You start with this companion outside the game. You have it accessible to you as long as you meet the companion requirements. Right. If you're, it's a deck building requirement for all of them. Uh, some of them say like every card in your deck has to have an even CMC. Yeah. Um, all, all every permanent in your deck has to have an activated ability. Those are actual ones. And if you meet that, then yes, the companion can start outside the game and you will have access to cast it from that outside the game place one time. Yep. And at the, at that moment, as soon as you cast it, it just behaves like any other card in your deck. If it gets countered, it goes to your graveyard. If it gets bounced, it goes to your hand. If it gets exiled, it goes to exile. You cannot cast it again from outside the game. Yeah, this is really interesting, specifically because, in general, the companion sort of stipulations that you need to meet are pretty stringent. They're, they're, they're not easy to do, necessarily, yeah. except for one, uh, Lutri, <clears throat> which obviously just got banned out the gate because it was... Too easy. Too easy, and it was almost custom-made for Commander, but it wasn't. Uh, so, for instance, you know, like the they're usually hard, but they're not impossible. So it's like every creature must have an activated ability cost, except for non-lands or non-whatever. It's, it's, uh, it's all permanents must all have permanents, activated ability. Yeah, so, yeah. so like it, there are ways to make this work, but it is very hard in general, I think. Uh, another rule of companion, you can only have one companion. Mm-hmm. So even if you meet requirements for multiple companions, you don't get to choose them. You you can only have you can only have one friend in me. Yeah, uh, if you're playing like in a constructive format, like standard or whatever, you can have four of those companions in the deck if they meet the requirement, and one outside of the deck. Sorry, you can have a companion outside the deck and the card in the deck if it happens to meet. You can the have three in the deck and one outside. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they technically exist in your sideboard, and the rules say you can only have four copies mm-hmm. in your sideboard and your main deck combined. Now we don't have sideboards in Commander. However, you cannot have a companion in your deck and also in the companion zone, let's yep. call it. Because uh, this acts as a 101st card to your deck. Right, that's another thing we should say. So if you have a companion, you meet the requirements, it starts outside the game, you're playing it as a companion, it doesn't it doesn't count as a card in your deck. Your deck still has 99 cards or 98 cards, depending on if you have partner commanders. Mm-hmm. It doesn't count against any of that. However, it still has to obey the other rules of commander so it has to be singleton like we said you can't have a companion in, that you're playing as companion in the mm-hmm. companion zone and that companion same companion, yeah and that same companion in your deck or they're all legendary creatures they can also be your commander you can't have it be your commander and your companion you have to choose one or the other also it does they're all hybrid mana costs it does have to obey color identity yeah it can't be outside of your color identity even though it technically starts outside the game, it has to follow the rules of color identity. Now, for those of you asking, wait, isn't this basically a sideboard? Well, here's the thing. If you're playing a format that doesn't have a sideboard, like Commander or Brawl, you're going to cast it, and it's as if it were on your sideboard, if the big question, if the big word here, because the rules committee did update one of their rules to accommodate companions by changing one word. And Rule 11 now reads, abilities which bring other cards you own from outside the game into the game do not function in commander so cards like living wish that says you may choose a creature or land card you own from outside the game so in this case it's other cards you own from outside the game companions technically considered to be a part of your deck not a sideboard well companions reference themselves so they don't pull other cards from outside the game whereas the wish card sponshire of ulamog karn karn they get other cards from outside the game so that was one word they added to the rule basically they want companions to work the rules committee th- I think, believes that companions have some fun design space. They make you jump jump through some hoops, but they want people to be able to play around with them. And, you know, I get this, right? New cards come out in Magic, and you don't want to say, well, hey, this whole new mechanic, 
you commander players, sorry, you don't get to have any fun with it. Mm-hmm. So they just said, listen, let's. how can we write the rule so that companions work? But we still don't want wish cards and sideboard cards to work. And so they just added one word to basically make it work how they wanted to, which I know a lot of people, there's a lot of hullabaloo. This is actually where most of the controversy comes from. People being like, well, there's no sideboard in commander. There's no outside the game. Isn't this a why, sideboard? Yeah. Why, why do these work? Why should these work? Listen, it's a game. Wizards didn't, I, I mean, I don't know this for certain, but I very highly doubt whoever designed this set, I think it was Dave Humphreys uh, was the main person, but there was a lot of people involved, thought to themselves, hmm, how can I use the sideboard or the outside the game zone more? No, they said, you know what? People seem to like this idea of having a card that they've always got access to and they can build their deck around, and they love the commander format. How can I make a mechanic hmm. that works that way for the other formats? And then they reverse engineered the rules so that that could work. Yep. And, and they added restrictions so that it wouldn't be too crazy broken either. Yeah, and everyone's like, well, it seems arbitrary. Yes, it's arbitrary because it's a game made up by people <laughs> who to work to in a certain happen. way. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. So they're constructing it so that, like, this would be cool. How do we fit that within the frameworks of the, of the rules? Mm-hmm. So they want companion to work. Companion works. They don't want sideboards and wish cards to work, so they don't work. That's just kind of the yeah. That's just kind of the bottom line. Now, if you don't like that, you can complain about it, but I don't think companion and sideboards are actually related in any way. Yeah. They're just a means to an end. They're, it's not like, it's inconsistent, you know, if they refer to a sideboard, but they don't let us use wish cards. It's, there's, there's not meant to be consistency there. They want this mechanic to work. They don't want that one to work. And Wizards, of course, has made a lot of text in the, in the past. And if it said outside the game and they're like, that means sideboard, then that's for them to decide. And if they're like, okay, well, companion means something that's not the sideboard, that's also for them to decide. Uh, it's hard for a company that is not allowed to errata cards, you know, physically yeah. to look back and do this sort of stuff. So I, mean, I can the understand. The whole rules are held together by duct tape as it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's a question uh, we've been getting a lot on Twitter, which is, does your commander need to abide by the companion restrictions? So, If you're going to have the companion outside the game, looking at the commander, does that also need to abide by it? Right, so uh, Gyruda is a companion that says, in order to play it as a companion, your starting deck contains only cards with even converted mana cost. People are asking, does my commander have to have even converted mana cost, or can my, you know, only my cards in the 99 adhere to that, but my commander is like Phoenix or something? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes, your commander must abide by the companion rules. It is considered part of your deck. Starting deck, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, so yeah, it's an effectively in the 101st card. You have 99 cards that you play with outside of the command zone, one card in the command zone. Those all constitute your deck. Now, here's a good question. Can you run the companion as your commander or inside your deck? And if so, what happens to... Do I still have to abide by those companion rules? The answer is no. If you are running Garuda, for example... You only have to have your starting deck contain um, only cards of even converted mana cost if it's your companion. Yep. If it's your commander, you can ignore the companion part. If it's inside the deck, you ignore the companion part. All the companions have another ability. Garuda's mills and puts creatures onto the battlefield mm-hmm. from graveyards. That part's still going to work, but it's just as if the companion text is not there. This is kind of comparable to... Uh, remember in Conspiracy, there was a card called Deal Broker? Yes, this allows you to look at a revealing cards, right? And then you can trade someone it, at the end it, of the It had draft. a bunch of tes- uh, text that was related to the draft portion. Mm-hmm. So, like, you could take it out of a pack, and then you could put it back into a pack and pull out an additional card. But it also was a looter. Yeah, three-mana artifact creature looter that can go into any color deck. Right. So, you can, all, you can play Deal Broker in decks right now, and all the stuff that refers to the draft portion of the game just doesn't matter and doesn't right. work. But you can still tap it 
to draw a card and to dis- discard a card. And so that's kind of how companions work when you're not using them as companions. You just mm-hmm. ignore the companion part and you get the other text. Yeah, it's just basically a creature otherwise or whatever it is. So yeah, uh, definitely look at the cards. There will be, don't just say, oh, I can't meet the companion cost. I can't play it. You know, look at it and be like, maybe I do want to play this card just as the card itself. A lot of them are very good in the 99. Yeah, uh, totally. A lot of them, the restrictions are so hard on the companion that they're way better as commanders are in the 99. Yeah, that's going to be my final note on this when we get to it. Um, um, okay, let's talk about so Lutri obviously got banned, mm-hmm. and then now a lot of people are asking about Yorian, Sky Nomads. So do you want to read that? Right. Yorian is interesting. It's three, and then Azorius Azorius, a 4-5 legendary creature, bird, serpent with companion. And it says, your starting deck contains at least 20 cards more than the minimum deck size. Uh, so again, if this card is your chosen companion, you can only have one. You can cast it from one side of the game. And then when it enters the battlefield, you exile any number of other non-land permanents you own and control. Return those cards to the battlefield at the beginning of the next end step. Own and control, by the way. So if someone's stolen a card from you, you get to flicker it with Yorion. So flicker's your board. Pretty powerful in the right decks. But the deck constraint that you have to meet in order to play it as a companion is your starting deck contains at least 20 more cards than the minimum deck size. Ah. So people are asking, well, does this mean I can play 120 cards in my deck and play Yorion as my commander? And the answer to that question is... Nope, you cannot. Yeah, Yorian doesn't say you're allowed. It doesn't change any of the rules about the format. It just Mm -hmm. says, if you do this, you get this. Commander says you cannot play more than 100 cards in your deck, so you can't meet that criteria, which means Yorian does not work as a commander, or sorry, as a companion in commander. Now, it can still be your commander. It can Mm -hmm. still be in the 99 of your deck, but you cannot legally run it as your companion because you just cannot have 120 cards in your deck. Yes, you can have 101 cards technically because one of them is your companion that exists outside the game, but that is not the same as running a bigger deck. We've seen people do this in Limited, though, and there's yep. obviously the uh, Battle of Wits deck or whatever that runs a ton of cards as well. People have been wanting Battle of Wits to work in Commander for a long time, but unfortunately it just doesn't at this moment. They haven't adjusted the rules to accommodate that. Yeah. But in Vintage or something, yeah, if you wanted Yorian, which would be weird, although <laughs> in Vintage companions are doing work, but I don't think Yorian is, uh, then you just yeah. run 80 cards or whatever. Yeah. Okay, final note on Companion from me. Do not put the cart... For the horse, this is one of those statements that we'll probably make a lot. Companion, if you can fit it, it's cool. It's really neat. Uh, but I think the restrictions on the companion are often so hard to meet that if you're going to build an entire deck around just having that one extra card, I don't think that's actually worth it as opposed to just putting the card in your deck if you like it and having a deck that can actually function uh, without having to abide by some crazy restrictions just to get that one extra card. Yeah, remember, that card is not like your commander because your commander, if it dies or gets exiled you can put it back in the command zone and you still have access to it. Mm-hmm. The companion, it's, that's a one-time thing. You play it and there's no commander tax or anything. It dies, it goes to the graveyard. It's just like any other card. It gets exiled, it's just gone. You can't cast it again. Mm-hmm. So if you're building your entire deck around this one card that can be permanently removed, like they can tuck it and stuff too, right. which they can't do to your commander, then and you just have to weigh loops. that correctly. I'm not saying that there are no times you should ever run a companion in your deck, but I think that in most cases... Mm-hmm you know, like 90% of the time just making up numbers, maybe more. A companion will make, meeting the restriction on the companion will make your deck less powerful, not more powerful. Not even just less powerful. I think it's going to make it significantly less powerful with the exception of maybe one of them. Which is why the rules committee, I think, was correct in just being like, yeah, sure, play around with these if you feel like it. And let's not ban them or anything. You just put them in your 99 or or whatever. Just Lutri was the one that the downside was literally nothing, so there was no reason not to run it because we already have singleton decks. Yeah, and again, they didn't want to just ban Companion outright uh, just because of Lutri. I think it was the safer decision. Just be like, of all the Companions, nine of them we're fine with if you can meet the restrictions. Great. Lutri, 
is a little too, unfortunately, unbalanced for our format. So we're just not going to allow this one. All right. So quick discussion, like we have with the other uh, mechanics, Jimmy, what do you think about the companion mechanic? Do you like it? Do you dislike it? We're going to be talking about this a lot more in our set review, which is coming soon. So make sure you subscribe and hit that notification bell. But I, in general, am pretty fine with this. I know there's a lot of discussion and anger about why is this work and why does that not work? It's one of those things where, you know... We don't like banning. We don't like preemptive banning, but sometimes it must be done for certain case scenarios. Josh and I definitely agreed on this one. Uh, I think we should just play with it, test it out, and see if it actually has the impact that people are afraid of. Um, if anything, I think the real people that are complaining and angry are the ones that want a sideboard and commander. Yeah. That seems like where the noise to, is coming from. Yeah, misappropriate that argument. Grab this and be like, somehow twist it so that... It, Why not this now? Yeah, so that has to do with this other thing, which I get it. If you want sideboards and wish cards to work, like, I disagree, but that's fine. I don't think it has anything to do with companion. I think what most people are doing is trying to take companion and use it as leverage in this other argument that's unrelated, basically. Yeah, and, and please don't use this also to scapegoat the rules committee or WOTC for design decisions and stuff. I am personally always a fan of making the game more interesting than less interesting. And oftentimes with set reviews, we'll go through it and go, well, there was nothing there. And so in this case, we actually have some discussion points. And again, only time will tell and in play groups how this sort of pans out, I think. So I'm interested to see how it works. I mean, I like the idea of companion outside of commander and limited, and it might be too powerful. A lot of people are complaining about that. And For limited and stuff. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, the idea of like, I mean, my guess, and again, I don't know this for certain, but it feels very much like people at Wizards were like, you know what people like? They like Commander. <laughs> How can we make the other formats a little more like Commander if people want to play that way? How can we give them a card they know yeah. they're going to have access to that they can build around? And the way that they they were like, well, the, the Commander mechanic is broken. And let's be honest, it is. This idea that you have a card that just can never go away and it's recastable. And they were like, well, how can we balance it? And they were like, we'll give these restrictions and that'll kind of keep the scales balanced. Remains to be seen whether that part of it is true. But I understand where they were coming from and that part I like about it. I think the problem is when it now moves its way into a format that already has the thing that they're emulating. Right. So now we want the thing they're emulating to work alongside the thing that they're emulating or sorry, the emulation working alongside the thing they're emulating. And that to me starts to get a little bit muddy. Like, like we said, like if you're going to build around the companion, does it, it feels like, oh, well, I don't need to build around the commander anymore. We're already doing that. Do yeah. we need another of that? It's, so companion, like for commander specifically, not my favorite. It doesn't feel like, honestly, it was designed for us, which makes sense. It was designed about us, not for us. Yeah. So I'm not in love with it. I'm sure it'll be fine. And I think that the outcome of all of this will be that in six months, we never really see companions because I think most of them are not that good. You'll see them in the deck. I think if you yeah. do have some people out there building around it as companion, their decks are just going to be weaker as a result. There's only maybe one that you can make the argument for otherwise. But for commander, look, just put it in the deck if you want to play it. Yeah. All right. To the listeners, what do you think about the new mechanics? Which ones do you like? Which ones do you dislike? Are they too complex? Are we going down the right road? Should we should we turn back and get simpler? I've never seen this amount of contention regarding mechanics yeah. in a set. It's usually revolving card, around cards or yeah. specific... Yeah, but mechanics, we very rarely see it. So love to hear your opinion in the comments, on Twitter, anything like that. I and will it, say this, though. These cards are here to stay. So if you want to pick up any of them, 
Yep. Please head on over to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. Uh, they are going to be reopening uh, their shipment and all that stuff soon. So make sure you check on their website. But, you know, we've been fans of them for a very long time. They've kept up amazing communication through these tough times. We can't thank them enough. And not only that, they're going to be the people that get your cards first the moment that they can. And that is a promise from Card Kingdom that I know I can make on their behalf because they've just been so amazing at fulfilling and getting cards to people on time and very quickly. So cardkingdom.com slash command zone, our affiliate link. You support our show as well as a great company. And, you know, I, I think game stores really need it at this time. Time and period. Uh, and also make sure that you pick up some Ultra Pro products. They are the ones that Jimmy and I personally trust to protect all of our cards. We have large collections. You've seen game nights. We have expensive cards mixed in there. And definitely Eclipse sleeves are the way to keep all that stuff in great condition, pristine. You put a lot of money, time, and effort into your game pieces. You want to trust that they are going to be kept whole. And mm -hmm. Ultra Pro is the best at doing that. So again, by supporting our sponsors, you are supporting all of our content. All right, we're still on the no end step thing because we've got tons and tons of videos coming out. Yep. We don't have that much cool stuff outside the world of Magic in our life so we're gonna skip that for now we'll get we'll get back to normal in a couple of weeks we still got a couple of set reviews uh, still to go so there's still a lot of content make sure you hit that subscribe button by the way all right our editing graphics and logistics team here at the command zone is craig blanchett ashlyn rose lady danger manson lung alfred destaka josh murphy jake boss and sam waldo big thanks to all of them for putting in the hard hours right now especially in these trying times to get all this content out to you all yeah and they're working from home which is a lot of transferring a lot of communication it's not very efficient they are doing a really great job so thanks to the whole team yep uh, and special thanks to jeffrey palmer who does the living card animations that begin and end each of our episodes and they sit behind us here on set. Jeffrey actually made all of his animations uh, open and free to the public stuff he's done for Channel Fireball in the past as well and all sorts of different companies and us as well. So you can check that well, out. I believe it's on Twitter. Right? Yes, he didn't do all of them, but his, early, his yeah. early stuff, he, he yeah, he released a package of like animations he's done and said, content creators, here's stuff you can use for free if you want to. So yeah, yeah that's, that's awesome. Amazing, yeah. by the way. Of, uh, hundreds of hours of work probably there for free for you all. So just make sure you follow him at LivingCardsMTG on Twitter to find that. Yeah, if you're a Magic content creator, get on Twitter. Go to living at LivingCardsMTG find that link and download all that stuff and use it in your content because yeah. that's say, just a ton to of free too. production value. Jeffrey, yeah, awesome for doing that. All right, everyone. Thank you so much and we will see you next time. Peace. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, 
which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.